Thank you very much. It's good to be back this evening. I'm glad that you're here and uh, very, very thankful for the opportunity. I read something the other day. It just takes a moment of time. And it, all, it is a little re refreshing to stand after we've been sitting and enjoying the good music uh, throughout the service. A.W. Tozer wrote this. He said, Truth. It is not the difficulty of discovering truth, but the unwillingness to obey it that makes it so rare among men. To stand by the truth of God against the current religious vogue is always unpopular and maybe downright dangerous. God help us to take the truth and do something with it in our own lives. I'd like to have you look in your book, if you would, to the seventh chapter of the book of Luke. The seventh chapter of the book of Luke. Uh, to me, this is one of the most wonderful stories in all of the book of God, and I hope it'll be a help and a blessing to you this evening. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus set at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom it, he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seeth thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that said it meet with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Amen. Our Father in heaven, the question that is the title of the message tonight is twofold. Who loves most and how much 
do we owe the Lord. I pray that you'd help me tonight. We thank you for the good singing. The choir blessed our hearts. And uh, uh, the guitar band, whatever you call it, Lord, is a blessing. And the thoughts and the songs were so provoking and helped us. Now I pray, Lord, that you would be with me in these few minutes. I pray for that fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit of God uh, to say what needs to be said to our audience tonight. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now some people have said about this little story that it's salvation by works. But that's not true because in verse number 50, Jesus said, thy faith has saved thee. I want to contrast in the beginning of my thoughts tonight uh, two individuals, imaginary but in a lot of cases real individuals. One of these individuals grew up in a fine Christian home, kind of like the homes that have been testified tonight about in this service. The other one that I want to talk about did not have the same Advantage. He did not grow up in a good home. He grew, in a, grew up in a terrible environment. Now you know as well as I do as a Christian, there are some things that are wrong because the Bible condemns them. There are some things that are right because the Bible commands them. And then there are also numerous gray areas. They don't seem to be right or wrong to, to everyone, just to certain individuals. You say, why is that, preacher? I think it has to do with one's conscience. And that conscience gets affected by one's knowledge of the word of God. Amen. He that knoweth to do right and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There were some people in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, when they were confronted, they said, we never even knew there was a Holy Ghost. They didn't know. They, they were not aware of it. The Apostle Paul, you know this very well, he denied himself of many of the externals of life because he knew that the eternals of life were what really mattered. He said this one time, he said, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. There's a lot of things that you think, well, I don't know why the preacher preaches this, and I don't know why the church has this uh, precept and example that we have to follow. You say, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's wrong or right. Now, I want to address initially the second person that I mentioned, a fella who was not saved, grew up in a bad home. He was involved in obvious outward sin. The marks of sin and an ungodly lifestyle were very evident, seemingly to be uh, permanently tattooed on his conscience and on his person. He involved himself in liquor. He got involved in the drug culture. He was an immoral young man. But about in his early 20s, somebody invited him to a church one day. An old-fashioned Bible-believing church just like this one. 
And down the aisle he came and he got born again by the Spirit of God. On the other hand, there's a young man, another young man. He grew up again in a fine Christian home. He had the opportunity and I would say the advantage of attending a good Christian school. He made a profession of faith when he was just a wee lad, just a little child, young child, maybe seven or eight years of age, somewhere in there. He attended every service. Mom and dad made sure that he never missed. He was involved. He heard the preaching. He went to vacation Bible school. He went to youth camp in the summer. This kid never missed a thing. And now he's in his early 20s. I would like to call this individual a born-again Baptist brat. A born-again Baptist brat. In young adulthood, this other guy just got saved. And the Baptist brat is whining. I want to sow some wild oats. On the one hand, this heathen boy got truly converted. He's transformed. His desire now is to live for God unequivocally and totally in his life. He is faithful to everything. He would come to the women's meeting if he thought he would be welcome. He used to carry a pack of cigarettes up here in his breast pocket, but now he's got gospel tracts there and a New Testament. He is working. He's giving up his old habits. He's uh, trying to dress right and look right. He's doing everything in his power to please Christ. He is interested in seeing people saved. He, every once in a while, they have a good song service. Maybe the choir gets to shouting. He'd never done it before, but he lifts his hand up like this and he says, hallelujah. And man, did that feel good. I mean, he gives his testimony and he gets shouting like that brother did back there, preaching better than I will tonight. This guy is overwhelmed by the grace of God. He gets his paycheck on Friday. First thing he does when he sits, after he puts it in the bank, he sits down and he writes out his tithe check and kicks in a little bit for missions too. When he sins, he knows he's grieved the Holy Ghost. He has a desire to get right, get it behind him, get past it. This guy is excited about church. And then our, there's our Baptist brat. Now they're both born again. They're both saved people. But the born again Baptist brat, he's now experiencing and exploring different lifestyles. He doesn't care anymore about that old fogey religion that he grew up with. He doesn't worry if he pleases God, only self. Church? Well, he goes once in a while. Matter of fact, I plan on being there next week because it's Mother's Day and she would like to have me there. And I'm going to tell you something. God will know that I have done him a favor because I showed up. He tips God every once in a while. He wouldn't tithe. He wouldn't think of tithing. 
He throws a little bit in the offering plate. Maybe he'd been one at poker or the lottery or something. He breaks his arm, patting himself on the back. He hopes the ushers will tell the pastor, you know, Joe hadn't been here in 15 weeks, but he put a $100 bill in the offering plate today. Go to the altar. Are you kidding me? He'd avoid that place like the plague. Sing. That's not cool. I wouldn't do that. That's not an in thing to do. While this other guy is quitting things, the born again Baptist brat is experimenting with the things that this guy is quitting. He's acquiring more and more and more bad habits. The, the places, I mean, he is loosening. Really, that guy, you know, grew up in the church and all that background. He ought to have a head start on living for God. Now he looks at derision, with derision and disdain at that new convert. Oh, we went to high school together. I remember him. He was no good. My goodness, I used to carry my Bible to school. But look at him. He's acting like a fanatic. I don't want anything to do with that. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever lived that? Are you living that? I've seen the contrast. I believe they're both saved. I think the reason for the difference is found. There's a principle in in the book of Luke here in chapter number 40. Chapter number 7 and verse 40. Jesus answered and said to Simon, I've got somewhat to say unto thee. He said, go on, let's talk about it. Jesus mentioned these two debtors. They owed the same creditor. One owed 500 pence and the other owed 50 pence. And when they had nothing to pay, he forgave both of them. And so Jesus asked Simon, he said, which of them will love him most? And Simon answered, well, I suppose uh, that he to whom he forgave most. Now I want to say this tonight, that an individual's love for God is determined by how indebted they feel they are to God. How much they feel they owe God. Do you feel tonight like you owe a little debt, just 50 pence? Or do you feel like tonight there's a great and weighty debt equivalent to 500 pence that you owe God? Now, I don't know if this is exactly how God sees it or how often we see it, but I want to emphasize this truth tonight that every single one of us in this room owes him everything. We all owe the same sin debt. Romans 6 and 23 says the wages of sin is death. Death in hell. That We all owe that. Now I don't care whether you got saved at 6 or 60. Out of immorality or morality, we were all saved from the same hell. We're all redeemed at the same cost. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 19. We're not redeemed with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus. He paid just as much for the boy that grew up in the church as he did the guy out there in the world that he rescued by his grace. Same value. Whether saved at six or 60, 
It cost him his life blood to redeem you. Whether you were saved early in morality, a good home, a good church, really in one sense, you don't owe him less. You owe him more. Some people are saved from the past that was, but others have been saved from the past that might have been. God in his mercy and grace has kept you from some things. We ought to be more grateful to God. The Baptist brats, they don't believe God was being good to them. They think they're being good to God. The problem is simply not how God sees our debt. From his perspective, and I know I'm repeating myself, we owe him, but I want to emphasize it, we owe him Everything. The problem is, the difficulty arises how we perceive our debt. If we see it right, we'll love him more and we'll have a desire to please him always. It's what we think of God's forgiveness that determines that. It's how we value his amazing grace. In God's eyes, every single one of us in this room were headed for hell. And at Calvary's cross, he reached down and saved our wretched souls. That ought to breed some deep devotion. That ought to inculcate in our lives lasting love and a total dedication to him. On the other hand, well, I'm saved, you know, and I'm not that bad. You know, really, God got a pretty good deal when he got me. That attitude will dilute one's devotion and dedication and you'll lose sight of the debt that you owe him. My message tonight is very simple. Just three quick thoughts. How much do I owe him? How indebted am I to him? Now, This 50 pence and 500 pence, a pence was a one-day wage in New Testament times. In modern currency of the 21st century, a pence would only be 17 cents. I didn't have any unions back then, I guess. That means the one fella owed $8.50. The other man owed $85. How much do you believe you owe him? I want to contrast just quickly, and my first thought, the attitudes. Simon was haughty. The woman was humble. Simon was filled with arrogance. She was filled with humility. He was indifferent. She showed gratitude. He was careless. She was devoted. He was hypocritical. She felt unworthy. Simon is incredulous in verse number 39. The last little phrase after the colon. For she is a sinner. He ought to know. It's common knowledge. What kind of a person this is. I like this. The Bible says, I believe it's verse 38. The Bible says that she came and stood at his feet. 
stood at his feet. Now, when they ate in Bible days, they had a terrace steps like that. A man, an individual would sit down like this. <laughs> you would put one elbow on the table to balance yourself and you'd eat with the other hand. That's how they ate. All of them did. I've been to Jerusalem and I've been in a restaurant like that and we had to eat like that. It is very uncomfortable. Very unusual, but that's how they ate. And this woman came and the book says she stood. Now how in the world is she going to wet his feet with her tears and dry it with her hair unless she bows? Now I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to make much headway in your Christian life until you learn how to bow at his feet. She bowed at his feet. Her tears fell like a string of diamonds onto his feet, his dusty feet from the street. And she took her hair, which was her glory. Her heart was melted and the tears began to flow. She was moved by his divine presence. The perception of your debt determines one's Attitude towards him. Simon, small debt, no big deal. She had a great debt. Simon's full of pride. She's filled with penury. The attitudes. How's your attitude in regard to your debt to him? Then I want you to consider the actions. Look at there in verse uh, 44. I, I, I love this. I, gotta, I don't want to offend anybody, so I'll, I'll, t- I'll risk Nicole. <laughs> Noel, I mean. Let's, let's give you another name, okay, Nicole? <laughs> or Joan or Mary, whatever, but I'll risk her. She's the woman that washed Jesus' feet with her tears. And this fellow over here, he'll be Simon. Is that Okay. Eh, ain't too happy about it. But. but you know what Jesus did? He looked at Simon and spoke to her. I love that. He, he looked right at him and nailed his hide. <laughs> or he looked at her and nailed his hide. You know, that's, that, to me, that's preaching. I mean, if I knew... That uh, this guy had a big problem. I'm not going to come down here and sit in his lap and preach at him. But I'm going to talk to this guy over here and nail his hide. Get it taken care of. Or rather, it really it's better if the Holy Ghost does the nailing of the hides. Amen. I love that. <laughs> he turned to the woman and said unto Simon. My goodness. <laughs> the actions. I think Simon humored it humored the Lord, and I believe the woman honored the Lord. Simon omitted the common courtesies of the day, but she performed uncommon tasks. Simon, when when anybody came into his house, it was to wash his feet, the dust of the, of the, the roads. They didn't have paved roads to speak of, maybe some stone roads back in those days. 
But uh, he was supposed to do that. He was supposed to anoint him. He was supposed to kiss him. The Bible talks about greeting one another with a holy kiss. I'm a little frank with you tonight. I'm kind of glad we don't do that so much here in the 21st century. But this woman kissed his feet. Have you ever been kissed? I'm not talking to ladies right now. But have you ever been kissed by a man? It's horrible. I've, I've been in 60 countries of the world preaching. And a lot of the countries of the world, they greet you with a holy kiss. Now, in some parts of the world, they just, on this side, on this side, they don't touch you. Some places, they'll touch you on your cheek. Uh, I was in Romania, the, I believe the last time I was there, there was a bunch of saved uh, I think they were from Uzbekistan or one of those stands over there. Those guys, they kissed. I didn't know this. I was taken unaware. <laughs> but they kiss you right on the lips, man. I'm going to tell you, you have never been kissed until you have been kissed by a man with a full beard. With, I think, spiders and ants and rats in it. Who just got done eating blood sausage, boiled cabbage, and garlic bread. That is a kiss to remember right there. To be frank with you, I wish I hadn't remembered it. The actions. You know, it's easy to sit in judgment of others. If you forget the price that he paid for the debt that you owe. You know what happened to some of us? I've been saved. I've been saved 47 years. You know what happens to some of us after we've been saved? Seven years, 17 years, 27, 37, 47. You know what happens to some of us? When somebody comes into our assembly that doesn't look just right, they don't smell just right, they don't, they've got some things on their person that are quite repulsive. And some of us that have been redeemed out of the pit of hell that we dug with our own sin. What's he doing here? Kids, 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 get away. We don't want you to be anywhere near that person. That's exactly what you were when he paid your debt. God help us when we forget the debt that he paid for us. I'm a big Oswald Chambers fan. Chambers said this and I quote, God does not give us insight to be critical, but to intercede. So God's grown you. You're on another plateau. I've heard testimonies tonight. Boy, I'm glad we got in this church. Thank God you got in this church. And you get good feed here. And you get good singing. And the Holy Ghost shows up all the time or quite often. And it's such a blessing. Well, them people go to the old church I used to go to. Them, but I tell you, those rascals. But by the grace of God. Our actions. And then I want to conclude, and I got a long story, so it's not over. I didn't want you to get too encouraged. 
the approbation. That's the blessing. That's the approval. He rebuked Simon and accepted her. I got a little bit ahead of myself. You know, verse 44, he turned to the woman and said unto Simon. He's looking at her and spoke, spoke to him. In verse 47, he said, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. You know what I infer from that? Her sins were forgiven. His weren't. Jesus didn't say, I'd forgive you too, Simon. Do you realize this, that God doesn't forgive sin if you don't ask him to? You've got to ask him. If we confess and forsake our sins, we'll find mercy. But if we cover our sins, Proverbs 28 and 13, you will not prosper. I wonder why I'm not getting ahead. You got some sin to confess. You got some things to get right with the one that paid your sin debt. Oh my. Verse 50. Now he's talking right to her. He said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. I heard this story probably 40 years ago. Though I'd only been saved less than a decade then. I'll confess to you. When I heard it, I had a shout and spell. I mean, one of the kind that got you out in the aisle. And one of the kind that when, uh, you know, the singing was over, the shouting didn't stop. I like those kind of spells. You know, one of those kind of spells. Now, you may not even get anything out of this story, but man, I got a lot out of it. I could relate to it. There was an old king and queen. They had no children. They'd reign long in the kingdom. They had no heir. They would scour the countryside looking for a child that perhaps they could bring into the family and could become the heir. They would search and search to no avail. It went on for many months. One day they were coming back to the palace at a high rate of speed. Came down through a little village. Folk began to flee their path. The carriage driver drove like Jehu. All of a sudden he reined those horses back. The king went back, the queen, they went back and forth in the carriage. A valet jumped off of the back of that carriage. There was a little boy out in the middle of a dirt street in the middle of a little old village not far from the palace playing with some crude and rough toys. He would have been stomped beneath the feet of those stallions. The king saw the valet rush by. He noticed the boy. He reached down to pick that boy up and throw him out of the way. And the king stepped out from the carriage and raised his hand. He said, hold. Everything froze. The boy was set back down. The king walked up to the child. By then, the queen was at his side. The little fellow was there in his rough clothes. He was dirty. Had nothing he could tell. Just wore rags. The king said to him, he said, son, do you have any parents? Where's your mother and dad? He said, I never knew my father. I never saw my father. My mother died a few months ago. I've just been living in the street. He said, or anywhere I can find a place. He said, uh, how do you eat? He said, oh, there's a widow woman back on the alley, and she's got a wood box, and 
she lets me sleep in that wood box and she puts a oh, little piece of bread or a little scrap of food in there when I come home in the evening and that's what I eat. By then the king sensed his wife. He looked at her, she looked at him. They picked that little fellow up and they walked to the widow's house. The arrangements were made. She was glad to get rid of him. He put the boy in the carriage, the royal carriage, between the king and the queen, headed towards the palace. They turned off the main road and went down a long tree-lined lane. Little boy looking out, though, he said, never seen anything like this in his life. And then, like a mountain, the palace appeared in front of him. He was taken to the palace and taken to a room. He had a valet. Every day the valet would come and awake him in the morning. He would say to the little lad, he said, I've drawn your bath. And the little lad would, uh, the, the valet would leave and the little lad would go about his business. There was a little Lord Fauntleroy-like cloak that was laid out there, you know, a little goofy little hat and spats and those kind of shoes and a, a little cummerbund and a, a little thing that a little Lord Fauntleroy type kid would have to wear. Little boy would come out of the room all dressed and ready for the day and ready for breakfast. And every day when he'd come out, he'd be wiping tears from his eyes. He went on for a long time, and the valet said to him one day, he said, beg your pardon, sire. He said, but I noticed that when you come out of your room that there's, you're weeping sometimes. Why, why is that? Sheepishly, the boy looked at him, and he said, well, I tell you what. He said, tomorrow. When you come in and draw my bath and wake me up and lay my little Lord Fauntleroy type outfit out there, he said, I want you to leave the door open a little bit and you'll see. Well, the bath was taken, the little lad was dressed in that little outfit of the day that he had to wear, and he went over to a bureau drawer and he pulled it open. And he reached in and there was a little tattered and torn and dirty shirt and he held it up to his neck and a little pair of pants that didn't fit him anymore and they were ragged and torn too. And he put them up against his waist. And he stood in front of the mirror. And he began to weep. He'd carefully fold them and put them back. He came outside with kind of a smile on his face. And the valet said, beg your pardons, sire, but I, I why? I, I, I don't understand. He said, oh, sir. <laughs> He said, those are the clothes that I was wearing the day that the king picked me up and brought me into his family. And I don't ever want to forget what the king has done for me. I don't ever want to forget where I came from. I don't ever want to get casual about how much I owe him to we owe him our all. We owe him our everything. We owe him our best. We owe him our very lives and homes. Why is that? 1 Corinthians 4 and 7 says, What hast thou that thou didst not receive? You don't have a thing tonight that God didn't give you. Your home, the ladies testified. I heard them about 
how God's blessed their home. That came from God. How blessed it is to be in this church. It came from God. We owe everything to Him. Oh my. Our book says in James 1 and 17, every good gift comes down from above, from Him. He said, well, I don't know. I'm not all that bad a guy. You know, I kind of relate to this woman a little better. It says her sins, which are many. And verse 48 says, they are forgiven. And you know who said that? Jesus said, Jesus knows what you were. He knows where you came from. He knows whether we want to Evaluated from a proper perspective. He knows the price that he paid for us. What he's done for us. I wish I could sing, but I can't. The old song goes like this. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea. So burdened with sin and distressed. Till I heard a sweet voice saying, make me my, my choice. And I entered the haven of rest. Well, I yielded myself to his tender embrace and faith taking hold at his word. <laughs> My fetters fell off. That's what happened to Steve this morning. His fetters fell off and he anchored his soul and the haven of rest is my Lord. And I'll tell you there's another little line in that song. I'll sail the wide seas no more. May God help us to realize what he has done for us, what he's doing for us, and what one day he's going to do for us. Hallelujah. Hey, you take, you take some guy for our little illustration, a born-again Baptist brat. He's been leaning. He's been leaning towards the world. And I'm going to tell you something, friend. The way you're leaning is the way you're going to go. When the props get pulled out from you, that is the way you're going to go. If you've been leaning towards heaven and godliness and holiness... And right living and doing the things that please God. And you get in that book. If you're leaning that way, friend. When the props get pulled out from you. You're headed to glory land. You've been leaning the way of the world and the flesh and the devil. You can mark her down. You'll go the way of the world. You'll go the way of all flesh. And you will end up in hell. With the devil and his angels. And I gave the Baptist brat benefit of the doubt. I said he was a born again Baptist brat. But I tell you, I'm worried about a lot of people. If you're a born again child of God, the Holy Ghost lives inside of you. Just like he lives inside of me. If you're a born again child of God, that King James Bible, if you'll read it, have the same impact on you it'll have on me. If you're a born again child of God and you go to church faithfully, the preaching of the man of God will have the same impact on you that it has on me. 
And if it doesn't, there's something wrong with you. Something wrong with you. If you're saved, you can't get unsaved. But I'm going to tell you, if you're unsaved, you can get saved. But if you're unsaved, you're not going to heaven when you die. Period. God help us. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But he washed it white and snow. How many folk in this room? Be honest with me. Say, Brother Tim, I know of a born-again Baptist brat. Would you raise your hand high like I said? Could be a son or a daughter. Could be a daughter-in-law, son-in-law. Could be a brother or a sister. Could be a loved one. Could be a mom or a dad. I guarantee sitting in this building, some of you people gone here uh, longer than Brother Gravely's been pastor here. You can look across these green pews, if that's the color they were back in the day. These teal, teal green pews. And you can see where people used to sit that are no longer interested at all in coming to the house of God. They may be born again, but they are Baptist brats. They may not even be saved. You know, there's a group of people in the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew. They cast out devils. They did many wonderful works. And they prophesied in his name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. He didn't know somebody one time and then forget about it and they lost their salvation. That doesn't happen, friend. If you're saved, you're saved forever. Now, if I was a... Christian here tonight and I had family members that could be easily categorized as a Baptist brat. I'd get to praying for them. I'd get under the burden for them. I'd get some sharp goads to stick in them every chance you got. You say they'll get mad. So what? You know, you talk to sinners. Oh, don't talk to them like that. They'll get mad. What do you think? There's, you know, there's hell number five. Or just hell number one. They're going to hell period. They need somebody to tell them. To rescue the perishing. From the pits of hell. God help us to be the witness we ought to be. Now let's bow our head and close our eyes. I want to ask you this. I don't want you to raise your hand. Well I'm going to ask two questions. Number one. How many people in this room say preacher at one time or another. By your definition. I was. A Baptist brat. Would you raise your hand? A few hands. Maybe 15 hands across this congregation. Going up slow. Going down. So what happens? You understand. How many people in this room, I don't want you to raise your hand to this, but sitting here tonight, you'd have to say, honestly, I'm, a, I'm born again, but I'm a Baptist brat. I'm born again. But I've forgotten how much I owe him. I'm born again. But I look at my debt as just small. I'm born again. 
but I'm leaning toward the world. I'm born again. That old world and that flesh and that devil, they have a hook in my heart and they're drawing me. Friend, you need to come get, get that hook out. Get that behind you. Get past it. We're going to give an invitation here in a moment. If you're not saved, you ought to come get saved. If you are saved and you're cooling off, you're slipping, you're leaning in a wrong direction to whatever realm it might be. I don't know. I don't want to name it. I'd rather have the Holy Ghost speak to you about what he's talking to you about right now. You know, that preacher's right. And this is the direction you're leaning right now. And if you don't turn around, you're going to be in serious trouble. You'll be a sad story in some evangelist illustration book. You need to turn around. If you're a Christian here tonight and you've got a Baptist brat, loved one, you need to come pray for him. If you're a Baptist brat, come in here and get right, get on fire for God, turn this thing around. If you're not saved, come and get saved. Let's stand our feet. Just play a verse or two. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Would you come tonight? Step out. God bless you. God bless you. Come and pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for others. Say, God, I'm cooling off. My Baptist bratish attitude is taking over. I feel it. Lord, I feel it. Help me. Help me. Would you come? Who loves most? How much do we owe God? We owe Him everything. All to Him I owe. Brian, can you sing a verse of that? That one about the crimson flow and that kind of stuff, whatever verse that is? Is that in there?